Good morning. Man, isn't it amazing how a difference in temperature changes your attitude? Uh, isn't it amazing? Are we in Ohio or what? It could be 20 degrees tomorrow, but today it's going to be around 80, which I love. And next week it's going to be 90, which I hate. Anyway, so you have these great temperatures. And, and uh, yesterday I got the opportunity to do an outdoor wedding uh, for Chris and Laurie. They're actually in this service uh, right now. Guys, congratulations on that. And it was a picture-perfect day. I mean, it couldn't have been any prettier, couldn't have been any better, and just because of the temperature, your marriage should last a lifetime, just because you got married on a day like that, right? Well, we're jumping back into our series called One Minute After You Die, and I'm just telling you, it is a tough, tough topic. What happens after you die? All kinds of emotions and feelings and and everybody gets, gets, gets wrapped up because we love the people around us. And I'm still connected to my mom and dad emotionally. And they've passed a long time ago. And it still affects me to, to talk about them. What happens after you die? Well, obviously, these physical bodies die, right? I mean, that's, that's an obvious kind of thing. You die, your physical body dies. But we don't really die. You know, we, we kind of transition. Our souls separate from our physical bodies. These physical bodies pass away, but our souls live forever. Luke 23 says this, Then he said, Jesus, talking about the thief on the cross, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's what happens, right? I mean, our souls live, and we have some options there. And then the third thing that happens when these physical bodies die is we'll all face judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, that's nothing to do with salvation. It's everything to do with how you live this life and how your next life goes, right? How are you living? What are you doing? Who are you serving? What, what are you doing to make an impact with your one and only life? Now, today, we get to talk about something that's a little bit more challenging, all right? It, it, it just is. Today, we're going to talk about hell as everybody gets up and walks out. I know, right? I mean, it's like, I came to church for this. Yes, you did. I, I mean, you really did. It's a challenging topic, and it's a difficult topic, and it's not a topic that I want to deal with, but we're jumping in, Right? Both feet were jumping in. So what is hell? Well, it depends on what you're discussing. It depends on the conversation you're having. First of all, hell is not a curse word. Now, you can use anything as a curse word, but that's not what the word hell is. Remember growing up going H-E double toothpicks kind of thing because you didn't want to say the, the, the word hell. It's a biblical term, and it's used to describe a place of suffering. Now, if you went to the FC Cincinnati Columbus Crew soccer game last week, it's called Hell is Real. You know why it's called that? Because between here and Columbus, you're on I-71, and you have these big signs that say Hell is Real. That's how the game got its name. Is that cursing? No. It's just stating what's on the interstate between here and Columbus. That's what it is, the Hell is Real game. Now, let's say for you, we're talking about hell, and we're describing kind of 
kind of what it is. Let's say for you, maybe you rescued an abused dog. This is Mike and Angie Schoberg's dog, Gracie. Now look at Gracie's neck. She's a Rottweiler. And they, they adopted her from, from uh, Animal Friends, I believe. And she was neglected and abused as a dog. And those scars around her neck are from where a chain collar got embedded as she grew. The owner didn't care for her, didn't take care of her. And the chain collar got embedded deep inside of her neck. That's what, it, that's what that is. Now, this is Gracie afterwards, all right? And I don't necessarily want to go to Mike and Angie's house to meet Gracie. She's a little protective of them, but, you know, this is, and I understand Chris Trentman, who got married yesterday, had to run away from Gracie last week. So anyway, <laughs> but that's, that's Gracie. She, and, you, and you see those things around her neck, and you, you feel the neglect that's there and the surgery that had to be done to remove the, the, the chain uh, in, in her neck. And inside, you feel like that dog has been through hell. And literally, she has, because it's a place of suffering. So that's what that dog has been through, right? Maybe for you, maybe your spouse dies. And maybe for you, you're so deeply connected to them, and right now, you feel like you're going through hell because of the emotional pain and torment that you're dealing with. That's possible. Maybe for you, your child gets cancer, and inside of you, it hurts so badly that you feel like you're going through hell. It's a living hell as you go through these emotions and these moments and these steps with them. Hell is considered a curse word, but it shouldn't be. Hell is the most painful experience that you can think of, and that's why we say those things about those situations, because they're pain-filled. Now, hold on to that definition because that becomes part of our discussion as we look at it from a spiritual standpoint, all right? Let's put it into church terms. Some people think, as you talk about hell in our culture, that, that hell was made up to scare us into being good. Anybody scared into being good by the thought of hell? Some of us have been in that. Some of us got scared into doing what the church wanted us to do. If you don't give us money, you're going to hell. If you drink, you're going to hell. If you play cards, you're going to hell. If you root for the Steelers, if you live in Cincinnati, you're going to hell. I know that because I've been told that before. All right, so, so that's just the reality that, that, that's there. All of those things have been used in a negative way by the church, and they shouldn't have been. The church has a lot of faults. The church over the years, over the centuries, has a lot of issues that it's dealt with. And I just want to make sure that you understand this. If you have dealt or been abused by the church in any way, manipulated, made to think something that's not scripturally accurate, I want to apologize to you on behalf of the entire church that's out there. That's the big C church, not necessarily this church, but any church, because it should never have happened. Those terminologies and those things should have never been used against us because that's not what the Bible says and that's not what it talks about. And I'm sorry that you've been in that situation. Spiritually, we're going to talk about hell because it helps us to understand what God has done for us. So is hell real? I believe the answer to that is yes. But it's not God's first choice for any of us. 
It just isn't. His first choice for us is Jesus. That's his first choice for us. His first choice for us is life and life abundantly. That's his first choice for us. Now, here's the challenge. What we believe about eternity determines how we live our lives today. And if you believe that you're just an accident, that you're going nowhere, then why not just live for now? I I mean, if there's no eternity, if there's no future for you, just live it up. Why? Because nothing else matters. But if you, were, if you believe that you were created by God to make an impact with your one and only life, and that you're going to live somewhere forever, wherever it is that you choose, it will change the way that you live today. But you have to be able to make that choice. Do I want to live my life to the fullest for God? Or live my life for myself, my own wants, my own needs, my own desires. Because what you believe about eternity determines how you live. So what do people in our current culture think about heaven and hell? Well, 74% of Americans believe in heaven. 74%. That's a pretty high number, right? They believe in a good afterlife that's out there. They believe in heaven. Only 4 in 10 believe that those who do not know Jesus will spend eternity in a place called hell. That's current culture standards. It might actually be even a little bit lower than that right now. So who's going to hell? Well, if you ask our current culture, you know, only one half of 1% say that they're likely to go to hell. One half of 1%. That's pretty accurate for most people. You know, it, it just is. In other words, most people, if they do believe in hell, they believe it's for really, really bad people, right? Not you. I, I mean, it's not, it's not for you, right? I mean, God loves you. It's for like murderers. It's for rapists. It's for child molesters. It's for terrorists. It's not for people like us. God would never do that to me. I mean, there's no way I'm going to hell, right? God loves me. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. In other words, there are a lot of people probably on the wrong path right now. That's what it says. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Think about this. If you were the devil what would your hell strategy be? What would that be? If you were the devil, what would your hell strategy be? Well, I I think the easiest way to convince someone that there's no hell is just not to take it seriously. Just kind of laugh it off. Write some fun tunes about it, some songs, laugh it off, party up, say, yeah, yeah, whatever. I think if I were the devil, I would try to convince you that there is no hell. And if there is, eh, whatever. You know, it's not a big deal. I mean, all my friends are going to be there. It's going to be a party. Let's believe that most people would not be going there, even if there is one. If I were the devil, that's the strategy that I would use. Just live your life for you. Make it all about you, your wants, your dreams, your needs, your desires. Don't help anyone, don't serve anyone, don't give. Certainly don't follow any moral rules because it's all about you. Is that how we live our lives? Is that where most of us are? Just living life like it's all about 
us? And the answer is yes. Kind of raises an obvious question, doesn't it? If God is so good and God is so loving, why does hell exist? And friends, that's a fair question. If God is so good and God is so loving, why does hell exist? So why does hell exist? Well, first of all, let's keep this simple. For God to deal with Satan. That's why hell exists. That's the first reason. Revelation 20.10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. So hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. When most of us think of Satan or we think of the devil, what do we think about? Horns, pitchfork, red suit kind of thing, you know, kind of a kind of a harmless kind of guy that's kind of out there. We need to understand this, and we all need to understand this because he's a real entity. He is the embodiment of evil. That's who he is, right? Behind every addiction, guess who's there? It's our spiritual enemy. He's making that addiction worse. He's making it harder to overcome. He's keeping you stuck in the middle of that addiction. I mean, behind every fear, he's there. Behind every pain, every shame, it all comes from the prince of darkness. Now, that's one of the names that Satan is called in the Bible. He's called the destroyer, the deceiver, the dragon, the dark angel, our adversaries, the tempter, our enemy, the wicked one, the thief. He's the father of lies. He's the prince of darkness. He's the angel of the abyss. He's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Scripture says about him. Steal, kill, and destroy. All right? He wants to steal your joy. He wants to to kill your faith. He wants to destroy your health. He wants to ruin you financially. and, And he wants to obliterate your marriage and harm your family. That's what he wants. That's why the temptations are so strong out there. Because if he can get you just to give in to your own selfish desires, you destroy yourself and he doesn't have to do anything else. Because he won, right? Hell exists for God to deal righteously with the devil. John said this in Revelation 20.10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. So why does hell exist? It exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. But hell also exists to deal righteously with unbelievers. This is where it gets a little more difficult, right? This is where it hits home a little bit more. This is where it gets a little more complicated. A lot of people will say, well, it, it just doesn't seem fair. I mean, my neighbor is not a Christian, but my neighbor's a good person. God can never send them to hell. I mean, he just couldn't. My neighbor makes me chocolate chip cookies. And they're really good chocolate chip cookies, by the way. He could never send somebody to hell that makes really, really good chocolate chip cookies. You you just can't do that, right? Well, it's interesting that people who say God could never send anyone to hell usually want justice in their lives in this, this present earth, right? You want justice. Anybody here want justice in your life? Raise your hand. Do you want justice? 
I know, we're talking hell. Let me see. Do you want justice? If somebody cheats you, what do you want? You want payback. You want them to be held accountable for that, right? That's justice. I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe in your life, if somebody hurts you in some way, what do you want? You want to hurt them back. You want justice. You want them to pay for hurting you. If someone cuts me off in traffic, when I am just casually driving, following all the rules of the road, minding my own business, and they cut me off in traffic, you know what I want? I want to tailgate them, and I want to honk at them, and, and, and probably some other things that aren't so nice. You know, as I'm following them, we want justice. We want payback. That's what we want with, with this life. But those same people who are defenders of justice on this earth argue for a God of love and mercy and grace and no justice in eternity. I mean, God is love, right? I mean, God's love. That's what the Bible says. God is love. And God loves me. So God's just going to kind of give me a little wink towards the things that I do that I know aren't right with God, right? I mean, he understands Hey, I got, he's holy and righteous and all that stuff, but that doesn't apply to me. I mean, God loves me. He's okay with what I do. He just kind of looks the other way with all the things that I do that are considered sinful. Here's what we need to understand. Write this down if you're writing anything down. Burn this into your memory. God cannot be holy without being just. And God is holy. He cannot be holy without being just. It's impossible. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says this, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Friends, let me tell you something. This is no fun to talk about. Anybody having a good time here this morning? Anybody ready to grow out? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Anybody want to go out and just party now, celebrate, have a great lunch, enjoy the afternoon? No, you want to go home and go to bed after a sermon like this, right? You want to go home and go, oh gosh, I'm never going back to that church again. I got it, I got it, I got it. I, I understand because I am worn out studying through this. I mean, I just am. It's tough. It's difficult. I don't want anybody to end up in a place like that. I just don't. I love all of y'all. I, I don't want anybody to have to suffer these types of consequences. But here's the deal. If we don't accept the reality of hell, then we'll never appreciate what Jesus did for us. Right. We just won't. Right. All right? Let me try to give you a brief glimpse of hell from Luke 16. Jesus is telling this story, and he says this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, when Jesus said this, his audience understood what he was saying. All right, fine linen and purple dye meant that he was like ultra rich. Meant like he is Joe Burrow kind of rich. Okay, Joe Burrow's the quarterback for the Bengals. He's going to be that kind of rich when he signs a new contract. It's just the way it is. All right, so, so they understand this guy was really, really rich. And Luke 16, 20 and 21, at his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus. So you have a rich guy and a poor guy, covered with sores and longing to eat 
what fell from the rich man's table. Now, it's interesting when you study what he's, the Lazarus is hoping to eat. Because the Joe Burrow rich kind of guy, what they would do instead of wiping their hands on a napkin, is they would wipe their hands and clean their hands on a loaf of bread. So you get everything off your hands on this loaf of bread, all the whatever was on them on this loaf of bread, and it would crumble and it would fall, and then the servant would come in because you're that kind of rich. You can have a servant come in and pick up all the crumbs, and then what they would do is, as just an act of kindness is they would take that out to the dogs and feed the dogs outside the gates. And so Lazarus the beggar is outside the gates going, may I please just eat the crumbs that you use to wash your hands. And so the story goes that both Lazarus and the rich man die. And what happens to them after their life on this earth? They end up with their souls separating from their bodies and they're heading into eternity. Luke 16, 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. I mean, this rich guy is in Hades. He's in torment. Let's just stop there. What in the world is Hades? What is this place? I mean, we have all kinds of different ideas, right? Hades is the Greek word in the New Testament that's equivalent in the Old Testament to the word Sheol. So if you read the Old Testament, you see the word Sheol quite a bit, again and again and again. It's the same thing. It's not the same thing as hell. So Hades and hell are different things. What's Hades? It's evidently a temporary place after life on this earth, before the judgment day, where people go if they don't know Jesus. You read other scripture in Revelation that talks about Hades being thrown into the fires of hell. So what exactly is Hades? I can't tell you exactly. We have limited knowledge on this, but it's a temporary place where those people without Jesus, they go, and it's a place evidently that you do not want to be. That's what we take from it, right? It's a place we don't want to go. In Hades, the rich guy was in torment. In other words, he's hurting. He looked up and he saw Abraham and Lazarus by his side. So evidently, we've got the rich man in Hades. There's some type of a chasm in between Abraham and Lazarus. And obviously, Abraham and Lazarus are in a much better place than where the rich man is in Hades. So the rich guy calls out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. Why? Because it's serious pain. I'm in agony in this fire. Last week we saw that to a Christian to be absent from the body, to physically die, meant to be at home with the Lord. All right? That's great. But for those who are without Jesus, to be absent from the body, to die, is the beginning of suffering. And so we start to read about what it's going to be like, and we get a glimpse of this place, and it's not a good thing. It's a horrible type picture. Hell is called in the Bible the fiery furnace, the burning sulfur. It's a place that's described where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Hell appears to be a place of isolation. It says it's in utter darkness. There's no light, no community, no one to connect to. 
and we know for certain that there's no hope because the angel describes what will happen to those who are separated from Christ. Revelation 14, it says this, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever and ever. Anybody want to end up there? Anybody want to experience that scenario? The word that's translated as hell is not the word Hades. Remember, Hades is a temporary place. The Greek word translated as hell is the word, the word Gehenna. That's what it equals. It's a real place. It comes from the Valley of Hinnom, which means everlasting punishment. So here's the description of that. Jesus used it multiple times. He says it was a, a, a sewage and a burning place where there was flesh and waste. It's a garbage dump that's, that's on fire. It continually burned. And they would throw dead animals there. They would throw dead criminals there. They would throw sewage in there. It was smoldering full of maggots and worms. And I can't imagine what that smell would actually be like. So what is hell? Hell is a place where there's no more beauty, no more laughter, no more peace, no more friendship, no more joy, no more hope, no more second chances. And that's why the rich man is crying out when he's in Hades. He cries out to Abraham and he says, I beg you, send Lazarus to my family. I've got five brothers. Warn them about what happens. Warn them so they don't come to this kind of a place. Can you do anything to reach the people I love? Well, here are a couple lessons from this story. Number one, the rich man's fully conscious. He's aware of who he is, where he is, what his past was. He's experienced this incredible pain, and he doesn't want his family to be there. Secondly, the rich man's eternal destiny is fixed. In other words, he doesn't get out of this place, right? It, 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 it's not a place where you can buy your way out, where, where you can have penance paid for you. It, it, it's just not. It's a permanent. And the third thing is, the rich man knew what would happen to his brothers if they didn't trust Jesus. Somebody get back there and tell them. What are you going to say to your family and friends? What would your reaction be if you got to experience that? What would you want them to know so they don't end up there? Friends, what we believe about eternity impacts how we live today. It just does. Are you living your life for yourself? Is it all about you, your wants, your needs, your desires, your dreams? Or is it about how God can use you to impact the people around you so that you can live life abundantly, but live it for a different purpose? That's what God wants for you. Hell is not God's first choice. It's not what he wants for any of us. God loves us. He's done everything he can possibly do so that we don't have to experience that. Everything. And most importantly, he sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we don't have to experience that if we simply accept what he's done. John 3.16 says this. Do you know it? For God, say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son. He can't do any more than that. He gives you the choice. You want eternal separation? Or do you want eternal peace and hope and good things for yourself? Because that's your choice. My prayer for you is that you choose to live your life to the fullest for Jesus. It's not hard. It's not restrictive. It's abundance. It's doing everything in a way that has morality and hope and a future and seeing people for who they are and loving people for who they are and encouraging them and supporting them and showing them the love that Jesus has for them. That's what life in abundance means. So your choice is what? Heaven or hell? Let's pray. Father God, I pray today for everyone in this room. God, I pray for everyone watching online. Not an easy topic, God. Not a fun topic to teach on, but God, it does affect how we live our lives. Help us to live our lives for you. Making an impact in our culture, in our city, in our homes. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.